There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Thank you for joining me here on another episode. Please, if you're enjoying the podcast and you're listening along, if you can leave a five-star review, that would be amazing and much appreciated. If you're listening along on YouTube or anywhere on social, like, share, comment, get the word out. That really goes a long way, so thank you. Today, I welcome Kathy Hawley, and Kathy is the publisher and editor-in-chief of Flavor and the Menu, and then also the owner of the Flavor Experience event that happens every year. In years past, has been here in California, and we talk all about different trends and getting into Gen Z and things she hopes to see into the future and kind of what her day-to-day life looks like, managing content and, and being an entrepreneur. It's a really fun discussion. I think you're going to really like it. So let's go ahead and welcome Kathy. All right. Kathy, welcome to the Titans of Food Service Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here today. Thank you for taking time to meet with me. Thank you, Nick. I'm thrilled to be here. Hopefully your week has been going well uh, so far. Where are you based out of? I'm on the Maine coast. So I'm north of Portland, just in Freeport, Maine, home of L.L. Bean. That's how most people know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally from the West Coast, moved to the East Coast about 25 years ago. I didn't realize I'm like on the exact opposite side of the country being in Southern California, where you're was in more, n- Northeast, I'm in the Southwest. Exactly. Um, that's cool. That's a good 3,000 cool. mile flight right there. Yes. Yeah. I just went to, I just got back this week from the Summer Fancy Food Show in New York at yeah. the Javits Center. And it was the first time I had done that show. I'd never, never been before, but figured I'd go check it out. And it was uh, it was so much fun. Got to meet some great people and see some fun products. And, and then, of course, explored around the city a little bit too. Yeah, that's a great show. I always get so many, I walk out of there with so many trend incubation ideas and it's fascinating. That's yes. kind of the, the first launch for so many broader industry trends. And I love that show. Totally. So what I usually like to do with all, all of the guests on the show is kind yep. of build like a, a background. Uh, okay. Essentially, how did you get into the food industry? Where was the mm-hmm. starting point and, and uh, how did you get to where you are today? Okay. Well, as I mentioned, I grew up on the, on the West Coast and um, California, Oregon, and now live on the East Coast. But growing up, my first introduction to food service, working in food service, I was a... Uh, a server at A&W restaurants. And that was my high school job. Loved A&W, loved the floats, loved the burgers. So it was great. Um, And that was fun. It was a great introduction into the industry. I continued to be a server through to my, almost my mid-20s. So I definitely had an appreciation for hospitality and the understanding of it. Um, I had no aspirations to run a restaurant or be a you know, a, um, a front house manager, anything like that. But um, I got into food service publishing, which is what I do a little bit different through a different route. And I was basically, I was freelance writing once we had relocated to the East Coast. I was doing freelance writing and editing for a seafood and fishing publication here in Maine. And 
That turned into a full-time editorial position and then through various other connections opened up opportunities for me to be a founding partner of Flavor in the Menu in the year 2000 and then take over um, ownership of that almost 10 years ago and then um, took over ownership of the companion event that goes with Flavor in the Menu called the Flavor Experience, which is now it's in its 20th year. So yes. took over ownership of that in 2019. So that's how that's kind of the quick quick story of how I got to where where I am. Did you? I know you mentioned you started uh, in restaurants. Did you imagine that you'd get into food service publishing? Never, never. I always wanted to be a writer or an editor. I'm. A, I always say I'm a much better editor than I am a writer. It takes me yeah. a long time to write something. I'm not quick. Um, I'm thoughtful. I probably spend way too much time kind of crafting words. AI may very well help me out in that in that in that space. I don't know, but um, but I I value my work as an editor, so that that came more natural to me. So it was interesting that because I was studying journalism in college, it was interesting to me that I would have honestly to be transparent, I would have taken any journalism job. I thought I wouldn't be a reporter or something like that, and it just so happened that I'm in food service publishing. I would have easily been writing about bicycle parts, you know, if that were if that were offered up to me. So I was just more interested in the words and the storytelling. And that's what um, landed me here. Just an opportunity uh, door opened and and this is where I landed. Happy to happy to be in this industry. I love the industry. That's incredible. You mentioned you have ownership in the company. Yep. Yeah. How did that come to be? Well, I was a founding partner of this publication okay. when it started in, in 2000, and I had a small ownership um, uh, piece of the pie there. And about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to buy out my remaining partner. And so my husband and I did that. And then the flavor experience of which I also have an ownership role in um, came about that a flavor experience is an annual event. I should I should back up and give context here. Flavor in the menu is a print publication still and a digital brand on getflavor.com. Flavor in the menu um, comes out quarterly and we cover food trends, menu trends, industry insights, consumer preferences, things that basically help inspire menu developers. That's our that's our goal. Um, and high volume menu developers if that is our that's our primary target. And the flavor experience is is the event, an annual event held in Southern California each year that kind of brings that content to life. And so in 2019, the flavor experience, we worked out a partnership or an, or an arrangement to take over full ownership of that as well. So owning both brands is nice. Kind of, you know, having full control of that is a bit of a game changer. Has its whole another level of stressors too, but it's um, it's a nice place to be. Of course, of course. Yeah. I the flavor experience. I've actually heard of that. We mm -hmm. had had someone from our company go there last year, attended the Darren. show, and Darren, yeah, yeah, Darren. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and great. he loved it. He thought it was a, a great uh, show. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of restaurant chains that go to that yes, yes, to that yes. event. And I can't yeah. remember the hotel it was at, but I remember it was at a beautiful venue. The and, Intercontinental, San Intercontinental. Diego, right? Yeah. Is that where you're that holding it again this year? That's where. Yes. So typically, an event planning, you make like multi-year contracts with a hotel. So we are at the Intercontinental uh, for three years. So last year was our first. So we'll be there this year and next year as well. 
<laughs> how how many people attend, and who's your really your target demographic that you, that you yep. want to have there at the event? So uh, we the attendance ranges upwards the upper limits five hundred total attendees. So uh-huh. it's it's a big event, um, and we are where we we really break it into sponsors and operator attendees. So you have to be a sponsor if you're not a food service operator to attend. And so it's a really a 50-50 one-to-one ratio of operator attendees and sponsor um, attendees. And our target operator, they're basically menu development decision makers at national or regional uh, brands from small units, small two or three units up to national global brands. So um, the Inspire brands, the Bar Tacos, the Fuzzies Tacos, you know, the Brinker Group. So all of those guys are, are our attendees. And what makes the flavor experience unique? What value do they get from attending the show? You know, what makes it unique, I think, is that it really is a kind of a um, menu trend, flavor focus event for high volume. And so it's it's different than a lot of events in that. And on the, on the other side, on the sponsor side, the sponsors create all of the food and beverages that go into this event. And they try and align with industry trends that we're talking about on the content side of the event. So we're hoping to deliver a really multi-dimensional experience for uh, for attendees in that they're able to taste the trends and they're able to talk about the trends. So that's really that's really our goal and we think what makes it uh, a bit different. And it's it's got a very intimate feel. Mm-hmm. A lot of the all of the meal periods are outside and they always have been. And it's also in Southern California every summer. So we we started 20 years ago in um, in San Diego, went up to Newport Beach and kind of bounced between the two. So we're down in San Diego for a few years. And when we'll come back to Newport Beach. Yeah, that's actually, yeah. that's where uh, that's where I live. Where did you hold it in Newport Beach? At at the Marriott. Okay, yeah. Wow, the that's Marriott, a, that's a which beautiful is, venue. Well, which is now uh, a new brand, a new Marriott brand, right? They've that's just right. redone that property. It starts it, with a V. What is it? A, it yes, uh, it's... Um, I can't, can't think of it all the top name. of my head, yep. but that hotel yep. and then across the street of the Fashion Hotel, yep. we redid yep. that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember yeah. making uh, sales calls to the Newport Marriott. Never stayed there because I live right down the street, but uh, yeah. it is a Yeah, great, why would you rate? Oh, that's great. That's a beautiful place. Beautiful place. Totally. totally. Yeah. Yep. And I think at the event, you have culinary students. You're, you're yeah. tied in with some sort of culinary school. We um, partnered with Johnson and Wales, and okay. the and how that's come about is the executive chef of the flavor experience, uh, Val Molinelli, is a an instructor at Johnson and Wales in Providence, and she kind of oversees all of the culinary and um, food and beverage for the event. She helps facilitate, does all the ordering and all the management behind the scenes. And we fly in a handful of, of Johnson & Wales culinary students to help with the support on the activations at the event. So it's a great opportunity for the culinary students to kind of meet industry members, industry team members. And we've had great success stories of culinary students going on to work with brands and you know meet some real great connections coming out of the flavor experience. So that's a point of pride with the event as well. Yeah, totally. And what are the, just if people are curious in signing up, is it still, is it too late to sign up if you're on the supply side or the operator side? 
So the supply side is limited to sponsors only. And okay, so um, so that's that sponsorships are pretty much closed at this point, although yeah. we are already getting inquiries for, for next year. They usually sell nice. out uh, by by spring, which is a it's it's a good place to be. Um, but on the operator side, no, we still have availability. And operator, if you're our high volume target operator, attendance is free. So um, there would be a link to sign up. So yeah, we still are welcoming operator signups there. Nice. And and this event, is it owned by you? And I think you mentioned your husband as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. My husband, Lex Holly, is my business partner. And he's nice. got the more the business brain. I've got the creative brain. He's got the business yeah. brain. So it's a good team. It's working yeah, out. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the dynamic like working with your husband? It's... um. It's good. It it actually is good. I tend to we we have a lot of you know you can imagine there's a lot of inner working um, little you know predictable things. Generally, he'll present an idea and I'll shoot it down and I'll flip his idea into my own idea and look we're <laughs> both happy. We come out of it happy. So, um, yeah. but no, he's got his his strengths are really in the uh, financial side of things. That's where okay, he's yeah. got the more of the business brain. And that has never been a great strength of mine. So I've leaned on him largely for making calls on, all right, is this worth a $5,000 investment? Do we do it? And he's very good on the quick response to say, all right, if we spend that money, this is what we'll get. And so it's, and and these are big dollar values we're talking about here. Yeah. These are, I mean, it's, a, it's quite um, an undertaking to pull off the flavor experience each year. And there are a lot of um, kind of heavy decisions that go into it. But given that we are great partners just, you know, on the outside of, of, of the business, it makes it easy to be, um, you know, to, to he kind of knows the direction I'm going. And he's always been so supportive of my career. And he's a good kind of gut check partner there on, on just other side. But I also like, um, he tends to be back of house. I tend to be front of house. So I think we, we make a good team in that way. Yeah. I love that. You know, a lot of times you, you see, um, you know, I, I'd call it a family owned business, mm-hmm. the family owned business. It can, it seems like it's almost kind of, uh, uh, black or white. There's no gray area. It works yeah. really well or it doesn't work at all. Exactly. And, yes. And, uh, I work with my dad and, and we have a good yin and yang. And I think, yeah. What's nice about our dynamic is he takes feedback from me, uh, even though he has way more experience within the food service industry. You know, he takes my my criticism and my feedback and my thoughts and ideas and uh, allows me to run with them and implement them. So it it really creates a nice dynamic um, within our company. I totally agree, and I think that when you have someone who you know loves you, basically, you're you're these I, are the closest partners you have in life, and that you you can really count on that support. It's really different than going in as founding partners or you know just yeah. traditional business partners. It get, it has its strengths, um, you know, great strengths. Has its challenges, but generally, I think in most functional working relationships, that can it can really be a you know a high value turnout. So yeah, yeah it's an interesting. It's it, it's never a dull moment. There are times when we have to stop talking work at dinner, just like, all right, let's, let's stop because this is something yeah. we live 24 seven, basically. I, I totally, uh, that resonates with me. Uh, it's hard with my dad and I just to, to turn it off, you know, it's father's day and well, did oh. you uh, talk about this or did, did, did you do that? You know, these little, it's like, it, it's constant, yeah. but it, we're just passionate about it. We kind of just love it. It's, it, it's, yeah. maybe it's an obsession and, uh, and maybe we should not work as much as we do. But we just love what we That's, do. 
Yeah, yeah, that's generally it. And you've got a great name in the industry. And so that's really something to be proud of, too. It makes there's there's an extra pride there when you actually have family investment in that. So kudos sure. to you and your Thank dad. you very much. Yeah, Thank you. yeah. Definitely. So tell me, tell me a little bit about the flavor in the menu. What does your day-to-day look like in that business? Day-to-day in flavor in the menu, you know, I wish it were more glamour. It sounds great to be a food service publication. You think I'm out eating at these great restaurants, these trending restaurants, and I'm being handed this free food and beverage anytime, anywhere. The, the sad truth is I am looking at a computer, computer most of my days. So when I'm not traveling, I'm on a screen and I get these screen time alerts that's really discouraging at times, Nick. <laughs> so, um, but my day-to-day is overseeing editorial and advertising, um, editorial content, advertising relations, um, both in on the print and digital side. So we, our content focus is, you know, like I said, on menu trends, flavor trends, consumer trends, trends that really can translate to business uh, growth opportunities for high volume operators. That's our that's our shtick, really. And I work really closely with my team, including managing editor Katie Ayub, who's based in Chicago, and my uh, sales lead Julie Tobias, who's based in Oregon. We really are a small team, but a, a tight team. And I just get so much energy from the kind of creative in in and outflow of of these guys. And so day to day, it's it's a lot of kind of managing content of what that looks like, what direction are we going, watching the industry to see, I mean, food service media is no joke right now. It's, you know, it's a tough business and uh, just kind of figuring out the ins and outs of paper costs and mailing costs and things like that, that very unglamorous side of the business. And then the... Um, the execution. Are we doing how many e-newsletters do we do this week? How many, what else can we get into? We tried a video streaming um, episodes this year. That was new for us. So just looking into media formats that resonate with our readers nowadays, which continues to be a challenge because everyone's so busy. There's always the, you know, the competition for their eyeballs in some way. So in what format is that best delivered? And, and in what format can you get our readers to engage? So that's um that's no you know that's that's a very tall order and it requires some some heavy team dynamics to pull all that off um and then on the event side the day-to-day on that is it changes throughout the year but right now we are deep in finalizing our content who is speaking what are they speaking about finalizing the decor and the agenda and the flow our sponsorship sales are kind of you know we're we're over that so that's closed but yeah so just overseeing a lot and i tend to be a very detail oriented person and i want to have a you know i want to have a hand in every role i'd like to step back and not but because it's kind of you know family brand it's i have a vested interest to make sure every every aspect of the business both businesses are um, are running smoothly and it's not always smooth, but um, yeah, I'm very active every day in both sides yeah. of the business. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that uh, mm-hmm. in my experience. You know, I'm definitely a perfectionist as well, and I like everything yeah. to run a certain way. And uh, it, it challenge it, it is exhausting at times too. Exhausting for me. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes I have to remind myself that I don't have to be. I, I don't confuse perfectionism with excellence, you know. Um, yep, yep. Because it's yep. hard; it's so easy to yeah. get down into the into the weeds and and on every little thing, and it, and it's stressful. I think that's that's one part of uh, entrepreneurship that I didn't yep. learn in business school. You know, they teach you all yeah. these abstract things and like 
assessing problems and how to solve them, but they didn't tell you that right. you to sleep at night. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are sometimes this phrase we use, um, and somebody, I think it was Jen Horowitz in the business, told me this years ago. And she's on, she was at that time on the PR side of the business. And uh, she used this phrase, just remember, it's PR, not ER. And it is kind of like we aren't, this is not a life, it's not a, no one's going to die if we miss our press date, you know. And so there are things that I agree with you in entrepreneurship. I, you know, you care, you deeply care. I care my whole team knows like a typo or a proofreading error is just that will, you know, that will crush me. And it's silly to say because it doesn't really matter. It's okay. But that's where digital is way more forgiving than print. Digital, you find a typo, you go in and you change it and you re-upload the story. Done. Five minutes. Print, yeah. it's just, it's there. And it just, that's that's the sort of thing. So print is a very heavy lift. And our team is just trying to do what we can to minimize the kind of mental health <laughs> degradation that print can <laughs> cause. But um, but it is a, I agree with you that there is this perfectionism that I have to be very careful of. I'm, I'm the same, Nick. I go down that rabbit hole of just spending hours looking for the right opening photograph. Like, all right, yep. does this really matter? So I'm still learning. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand that. When it comes to getting your content, how do you find it? Well, it comes through um, uh, various ways and, and both the content for the sessions at Flavor Experience and for the editorial at Flavor in the Menu come around similar yeah. styles. And really, you know, we focus a lot on trends and watching trends is really a study of patterns and just looking to see the bigger patterns that either on the, on the you know, menu side, if what we're seeing in independent restaurants and both on the food and beverages or an ingredient that we're seeing that's presented in new ways. Um, on the consumer side, what are, you know, Gen Z is, and, and even the forthcoming Gen Alpha, this is all the talk right now. And so we're just watching what our kids are doing, what younger consumers are doing, how they're interacting with restaurants is a continual for us. And um, so we we tend to, you know, we put our heads together and we just look, what is what are other brands not talking about that we could, you know, where's that space we can play in? And luckily, flavor in the menu, we really focus on food and beverage and ingredients. We don't get into human resources and, you know, franchising and finances and plate costs so much. Those are, those are the kind of, those details are very important, obviously, is in our industry, but we tend to play in the most creative space, which is flavor development. And that's, Right. I'm very happy just sticking to that wheelhouse. So it's easy to come up with content because we yeah. will find an ingredient that might be new to um, to us or some of our readers. And you can just dive deep into that and what you can do with this ingredient, how it's showing up in its authentic form, what we could do to modify it. So there's there's certainly no shortage of content in that area. Yeah. On the topic of Gen Z, what are some of the trends you're seeing with that generation? Well, it's interesting. Um, Gen Z is what every menu developer is is talking about right now. So we just did yeah. a dedicated issue on Gen Z. And um, one of probably the most impactful attributes or characteristics of this generation, and it's kind of stunning in some way, and, and I credit Mike Costio at Data Central for kind of pulling this out in an article we just ran. And 
it is, and we've certainly seen this. I've seen this with my own kids. I've seen this with you know younger consumers that they have a great interest in experience. And you've probably heard this, Nick, where yeah. um, Gen Z is the first generation that values the experience of of items over the you know basically I, I hate to say it, but over flavor. The experience is so paramount in their minds of a successful dining out expedition that, um, you know, it's the first time where experience tops taste, which is a kind of a terrifying thought, but yeah. it's very, you know, their ability to share it, their ability to, you know, share it socially, their ability to share it in person with a group of friends, their ability to um, engage with the brand in certain ways. So many of the things they're looking for don't always have to do with flavor, which is a hmm. big game changer for this generation. And I think that's what, you know, just because if you have a fried chicken sandwich, if you have the best tasting fried chicken sandwich, but you're not doing the right things to capture that audience in terms of engagement opportunities, or like, can I customize a bill that could be named after me or something like that? It's just really, and it's a challenge for our for our food service industry right now. So mm -hmm. that's just one of the things that that I find fascinating about Gen Z. That is fascinating. You know, you, you kind of just described. Uh, I'm I'm part of the millennial generation. I know we're, yep. we're we mm -hmm. have our own uh, idiosyncrasies, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I'm, I've definitely in my life been more of an experience uh, eater as consumer. opposed mm -hmm. to. Or consumer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I go to New York as, this week for the fancy food show. And in my free time, I'm looking up, you know, what's the oldest restaurant in town? What is the exactly. the highest rated, like best experience? What is the cool uh, bakeries? Like, and I, and I just would walk from place to place, even though I'm eating a right. croissant here and a cupcake there. Yep. And, and I'm yep. just, my stomach's getting f just stuffed. Yeah. Um, I just want the experience to say that I've been there. Exactly. The Katz's Deli experience, right? Exactly. You know, but, right? And so, but you're not, maybe you're not researching like who has the best tasting bagel in New York. It's more right. about the, where, where is the must, what must I do just to have done that? And I, I get that. And there's, yeah. there's a lot of fun in that. And, and it's good that restaurants can offer the experiential component to consumers because yeah. certainly without that, that would be a real problem. And I think even fast or, or um, quick serve brands are starting to recognize that. Yeah. That even the McDonald's and the Dunkin' brands are starting to recognize that, or they definitely are recognizing that the experiential component has to be upped a little bit in that area. So it's kind of fascinating. And I think for probably quick serve and beverage developers, some of these really cool coffee chains, they have more of a runway to play in that area. For full service, that's a hard hurdle to overcome you know it's not just about sitting down and sharing a blooming onion it's you know how do i how do i bring that how do i elevate that to make make that more of an emotional connection with my consumer i would imagine and this is just a a thought that i have is or an opinion is that gen z might have struggled i think a lot of people most people struggled through covid but really mm -hmm. on the food service side having mm -hmm. to stay home and not going mm -hmm. out and enjoying these experiences oh. might have, was probably very difficult. Yes, I think so. Remember the talk of Starbucks being like that third living space, right? They were doing right. their homework in Starbucks with all their friends. And, and absolutely, I look at the way my kids interact with food service. It's a very different than the way I grew up interacting with food service. Going out to eat, and I've told this story before in some talks I've given, but going out to eat was so special for me growing up yes. that 
I, any night of the week. It was like, really? We're going out to eat? That was so special. But our, I think Gen Z was the first generation, probably maybe, you know, part, part younger millennials as well, was the first generation that it's almost like digital natives, food service natives, right? Yeah. Food service became so um, such a part of their everyday life that even going to Starbucks and paying four or five dollars for something was that was done without the bat of an eye. So that was something that um, that this generation grew up. I don't want to say taking for granted, but it was just yeah. a very it was an ordinary part of their day. Whereas so. I tell the story where my kids, I, when I go out, I like to engage with the servers. So I'll ask the server about the special and they're like, mom, stop talking. Like she doesn't even want to talk to you. I'm like, no, this is hospitality. This is what you do when you go out. You talk with the server. You ask about, is that cocktail balanced? And they want to crawl under the table. Like they're like, stop. We don't want that engagement. And so it got to the point where it would be a Wednesday night. We would say, let's go out to dinner. And the kids would be like, yeah, just bring me back something. And yeah. so they just don't have that point of context with restaurants that I had, and I think older millennials had, but I think younger millennials and Gen Z um, and probably Gen Alpha as well, there is an expectation like, you know, restaurants, there are, you know, and I, you know, I credit uh, Fast Casual for really being the game changer there, the Starbucks types or the quick serve um, components of just the abundance of reasonable uh, food outlets for younger consumers was a game changer for that demographic yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's funny what you mentioned about your kids. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad used to do that to me. Uh, especially like anytime we go to a grocery store, anywhere we'd go, he'd have to talk to people. And he always said, well, I'm practicing, yeah. you know, getting comfortable talking to people and for sales uh -huh. and whatnot. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you're cringing. Like, don't ask about the source. We don't want the backstory to the fish, right. right? Yes, yes, yes. It, but I actually think it, it served me very well going through those experiences. It, my wife told me about six months ago, she goes, Nick, you never... Part of your personality is you don't ever get embarrassed, and I don't mm. ever get really embarrassed. I don't mind saying something or or doing something or put myself out there, mm -hmm. and uh, you know if, if people laugh at me, so what? I, I just I like having fun, and so I was yeah. thinking like, yeah. is there a correlation to my dad doing that back in the day that now? And she's like, I wish I had that in my personality to not be embarrassed. Right. Yes. Um, no, you're right. And it's it's basically just, it's it's really just a form of engagement is yeah. just, I want to know about what you're selling. Uh, tell me what you know about that. Right. And they're, they're definitely, it's an admirable quality to be able to do that with such ease and comfort. Totally. What about on Gen Alpha? What are you seeing with that generation? That is, I, I know so little about that because we haven't yet started. I think they're just in the spending. And once they have, you know, spending, when, once they have control over dollars is when you really start right. to know where their preferences lie. Um, but I, so I don't know much about that yet. I don't think many um, analysts know yet. They're just watching when they kind of enter. They're right about that. They're right on that crux of becoming their own, you know, having control over their own lunch money, right? So I think it's going to be a continuation of Gen Z, um, certainly the younger uh, Gen Z. And until, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what, you know, what the coming year and what inflation might mean for that. But right now, I think um, there's a expected continual, um, you know, attributes of, of Gen Z to start. Does social media play an influence in, let's say, Gen Z and how they mm -hmm. eat? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. Absolutely, these guys live by the Instagram reels and TikTok. So, yeah, if you look at the cu- crumble cookie phrase, that is totally driven by Crumble's uh, social media. The way they make a cookie kind of come to life with the toppings and the the sizzle reels, right? Um, and same in TikTok. And it was really very interesting during COVID. Birria tacos, right? That the case of birria, all of that took off, and it was. It, which is kind of, I'm embarrassed to admit, it was my daughter through TikTok that made me my first true, well, not true, but as true as a Gen, Gen Zer can, can build it, uh, Birria Taco. And that was in times of COVID. And so there were all of these, the Dalgona coffees, you know, all of these really interesting, the, the quesadilla fold, the fourfold quesadilla. All, you know, my kids were making all of those things during the time of COVID. So I think COVID definitely brought about a greater reliance on that format for dining trends or consumer trends of all kinds. And as per- in particular, appealing to younger generations. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. What about going into the future? What are some of the tran- trends that you see growing on the horizon? Well, I think so much has yet we're, you know, seeing where we're going you know, economy-wise, uh, there's a lot riding on that, of course. But, you know, I, I think it's really interesting. We tend to look at at flavor trends and uh, where they might appear and what they're, you know, what's what kind of, you know, momentum drivers are there. And, and I know that, you know, over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of emphasis on skew optimization or cross-utilization of ingredients. So, pared down menus that, you know, the menu items have to work much harder. And there's a lot of creativity coming out of that. I think we're starting to get to a point where we can get back to flavor, new, new global cuisines coming, coming online. I think a a great respect of culinary authenticity is, is a, I know that's a buzzword that a lot of chefs in America in yeah. the U.S., I should say, they consider that heavily. Right. So I think that, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see the flavor development of certain, you know, subregions of Mexico or subregions of Italy that might make bigger plays on American menus. I do see the beverage boom um, right now in in really, you know, we used to talk about oh mezcal or the or the next cocktail, you know, coming on the scene, but now it's like we're talking about the formats of. Gen Z focused non-alk bevs. So talking about these layered and foam topped uh, drinks that are really interesting teas and coffees that are coming out of Asian cultures um, and and driving a lot of innovation in um, in fast casual and quick serve brands. So I think that represents a big opportunity and that's very exciting. But yeah, it's 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 fun to watch. I I don't know chicken, you know, fried chicken sandwiches are kind of the the um the play of the day and they continue i'm still stunned by how much innovation is still going on in fried chicken sandwiches for example and chicken tenders and you know uh, chicken in general chicken wings and so that's that's really pretty fascinating i think there's a lot of movement on the sauce side of development in because that's what really stands a menu item apart like chicken wings during the pandemic were so reliant on what you had for sauces because everybody was doing chicken wings so 
Um, how did you prepare it? What was the sauce that made it stand out? So, you know, items like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think continued global infusions uh, that will, you know, make a play on menu- menus and the reliance on, there's always going to be re- a reliance on the, f- the, the familiar. So whether it's a, you know, the, the banh mi only took off because it was a familiar format, right? And so I think relying on those familiar formats to be the bridge or carrying the trends forward will always be, you know, the loaded baked potato or the loaded potato trend of just fusing uh, potatoes in new ways to we're seeing so many different versions of poutine and loaded potatoes to carry forth, you know, Korean, for example, and who would have thought Korean poutine would be a thing. So it just is showing that the U.S. menu or the U.S. market has so many beloved carriers, whether it's fried chicken sandwiches or or fries that lend themselves to bringing in global ingredients and, and flavor touches. Yeah. You were mentioning the uh, the non-alcoholic trend. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. <clears throat> myself, I stopped drinking last year in 2020, 2022. Wow. And yeah. it, it's anywhere I go within probably 90% of the places that I go to have some sort of non-alcoholic option. Yeah. I mean, everybody yeah. has water and sparkling water. So that's, yeah. yep. you know, that's always a go-to if need be. But places will have craft cocktails that are, or yeah. mocktails, I suppose you can call yeah. them, uh, mm-hmm. or non-alcoholic beers, you know, and there's so yep. many non-alcoholic beer companies out there. And mm-hmm. it tastes very, mm-hmm. pretty much the same as a regular Similar. alcoholic mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. beer, which is yeah. kind of nice. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? The the non-alc movement um, among adults is really is really pretty fascinating. And yeah. I know that I have been since the pandemic. I think, you know, because I'm more of a social. When I drink, it tends to be on social occasions. And of course, there was no social happenings going on during the pandemic. So I definitely am consuming less than I than I ever was. A um, little out of habit there. So, um, but. It's not a go-to for me so much anymore. So I'm very intrigued by non-alc, and I've been watching that too, Nick. Um, the non-alc, um, and and it's interesting in talking with mixologists, they don't even like to call them mocktails. They like to call them non-alc cocktails, and mm. because they're really cocktail doesn't necessarily have to mean it's got alcohol. So we're seeing right. like non-alc cocktails on the menu because mocktails sound like a Shirley Temple, right? So they're trying to make them more adult, and I. I know there are all of these alcohol replacement types, the seed lips and items like that, these uh, spirit-free gins, or um, there are so many brands out there that are doing non-alc spirits, but I'm more interested in the innovations that rely on flavor plays and um, that don't need even a replacement um, spirit added, right? What You mentioned seed lips? Mm-hmm. I've never heard see- Yep, Seedlip, S-E-E-D-L-I-P. It's a British-based company that makes um, non-alc gin replacement, basically. They distill wow. the alcohol out of the gin, which is which is really interesting. So it's supposed to have the same qualities as a gin. Maybe, you know, the flavor's a little different, but it's supposed to have that same savory, like, you know, botanical kind of attributes that a gin might have. It's supposed to make you feel like you're having a spirit, but you're not really missing the spirit. Have you tried it? Yeah. Yep. I've tried it. And I don't know that it lends and I think it's doing very well in this market. And there are several other brands that are, that I can't think of off the top of my head, but that are doing the same. And, um, but 
I don't even know if that's the future. I think the future is creative integration of of flavors and bases that make for interesting non-alcoholic. Like I don't need a replacement tequila. I just am interested, you know, in what have you got that can maybe make mm-hmm. a savory, um, like the shrubs or the, you know, the um, the switchels, those kind of fermented beverage movements. Those make really compelling non-alc builds. Right. So I think I don't think you need the spirit free spirit to make that happen. Although there's a huge market for that for sure. Yeah. When I was in New York this week, I one of the things I saw online, uh, I was reading someone's blog of things to do. And one mm-hmm. of them was to go out, go to a bar called Dante. And Dante was ranked number one in the world best bar uh, by really? some best yeah. bar publication. Okay. okay. And mm-hmm. in 2019, it was number one. I think this last year is like in the top 50. So I was like, I got to go. And, yeah. and I got there at 11 o'clock and I was looking at their menu and they had all these really fancy looking drinks. And so I ordered a non-alcoholic beverage and it was very refreshing. I was like, this is yeah. fantastic. This is right. really, it's like, uh, right. I, like dessert in a cup. It was great. That's great. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's totally doable because you're going out for the experience in some way right. and going out to a bar, part of you're going for the flavor experience and you're not going to go to the bar just to drink water or sparkling water for that matter. And so there's no downside to, for an operator to have an entire spirit-free menu. I think there's huge opportunity there. What are some of the things that you hope for in the future in our industry? Well, boy, that's, um, I mean, there are so many things and the industry is so complex. I'm watching, I'm really, I mean, hope certainly, I hope for success in the industry. Can I just sum it up there? But um, I think for our industry, I think it's really fascinating to watch what's going on in the sustainability movements. I'm interested, like I'm embracing of plant-based, but I'm also really interested and supportive of the regenerative agriculture and Mm -hmm. grass-fed beef and things that are a little more sustainable on the meat industry side of things. So that's a big hope I have that I, I hope that at a volume level, we can get to be able to provide consumers with more sustainable meat um, animal products. At the right. same time, plant-based continues to grow. I hope that uh, brands, if we're talking about food service brands, can maintain their kind of I guess they're foothold because our our space is in the in the high volume space, a lot of chain development. And and I watch and and hope that that chains can continue to grow and not just from a venture capitalist perspective, right? That they can grow from a genuine, this is a brand that really resonates with this consumer, rather than just popping into a market because there's a financial, you know, hole there to to fill. I would hope to see the genuine growth of brands because they truly resonate with consumers. That excites me. And I would hope after after the kind of collapse in the pandemic of the distribution system, I would hope for the industry that that part of it um, isn't, uh, isn't an obstacle as it was in 2020 and 2021 to supply and just to to getting products where they need to go. Um, I think there's some big opportunities for streamlining on the distribution side of the industry as well. I mean, so many, so many hopes for the industry, but those are those are a few general ones, certainly. I love those. If you were to look back on your career up to this point, 
would you have done anything differently? Um, you know, no, I would not have. I've made mistakes. I have, you know, made bad calls on things maybe, but I don't think I would do anything differently because as we know, those are where that's where you grow, right? And no, I don't think I would do anything differently other than I think where probably I'm remiss is sometimes I get so busy that I I overlook a, a personal connection. And sometimes, you know, a, someone will email me something and just I mean to get back because I really am sincere. I hope to be sincere. I, you know, I really value the genuine connections that I that I make in this industry. Probably my th- things that fall through the cracks. If I've got an email that I really want to connect. I want to reply to you, Nick. I want to reply thoughtfully to you with a genuine thank you. I'll start the email and I'll start a draft. It'll sit in my drafts folder. And two weeks later, I'll realize I got busy and I never hit send. And so that happens to me and that troubles me. So um, that probably in in my, if you look at regrets or things I wouldn't do, it's more things I would do. I've just follow through with those intentional, you know, um, personal connections. Yeah, no, I get that. Looking far out into the future, what is something that you'd like to achieve that you have not yet achieved in this industry? Wow. Well, I don't um, need to win a James Beard Award or anything like that. Um, but a um, the I think it's probably less about a product in the industry, whether it's a you know a publication or a um, you know and pulling off a huge event. I think for me, what I still, my big goal is mastering the work-life balance. It's a really, it's a genuine struggle for me. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about when it's a family business, when it's entrepreneurship, I will stay late. I will work through the weekend. I will work on vacation. I can't remember the last time I put an out of office um, bounce back on my email because I will take, I will take you with me on vacation. I will respond. And that is something that I really strive to be able to get to a point where I can step back and say, it's after hours. I don't need to respond. Or two days is a reasonable enough time to respond. I don't have to respond to Nick right away. So Mm -hmm. there is just, I need to, and it's not that I need to care less, um, but I need to be a little more mature and measured about that work-life balance because that's a struggle for me. Yeah, that's that's hard to, uh, it's hard to do, you know, and it's just, it takes practice, I suppose. Yes, I and I have to just be able to, shut it. I never turn off my computer. I just have to shut it down and quit at a reasonable time. And it's just, I, you know, I say I care too much, but it's also, there's probably some dysfunction there. Let's, let's be honest that (laughs) that's some that I'm compensating for. So I'd like to be able to, you know, I, I say, all right, grow up, Kathy. It's time for you to, it's Friday night, you know, your kids are home. Let's go. So yeah, I, I need to, that's my, that is what I strive to do. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for, again, taking the time to talk to me and join me here on the podcast. I've enjoyed our conversation and I, I've learned so much. Uh, I, I love what you're saying about Gen Z and, and the non-alcoholic you know, trends. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I just, and I love what you're up to with flavor in the menu and the flavor experience. Yeah. I, I wish you nothing but just continued success. And you've built a great brand uh, or brand and I'm excited to see you um, you know carry that forward into the future that's great thank you so much Nick thanks for having me of course